who you are and who it is that we can stand next to. And Lord, that you are always with us. And God, that reminder is fresh in our minds as we go into the book of Joshua this morning. I pray that you would use your word, as you always do, to, uh, to renew us, to restore us, to rebuke us, to train us, to change us, Lord, that all those things would be true today. As we look at your word, that you would teach us and guide us in, in becoming more and more like you, and knowing that you are by our side, that you are with us no matter where we go. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn to the book of Joshua. We'll be back there this week. A couple of weeks ago we started Joshua, and then we had our little bit of a, a break last week um, from this. Um, but we are continuing right on through. Um, and so if you want to turn there, please feel free to do so. Uh, as we get ready to start talking about Joshua and start talking about the rest of chapter 1, um, you know, we started talking a lot about courage a couple of weeks ago. Talked about what courage is and how that looks in the book of Joshua. Uh, and uh, by way of illustration this morning, and, and a lot of times when our world thinks of courage, they think of action stars. You know, you, they think of uh, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger or maybe, uh, um, oh, I can't remember, who's the guy who played Rambo, that guy? Um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, yeah, that's Sylvester Stallone. Uh, you, we think of, uh, we think of uh, uh, our all-time favorite, Chuck Norris, like everybody loves Chuck Norris, right? So like, we think of these manly men that can just take on whole armies by themselves. I mean, that's really, uh, when we think of Chuck Norris, I think every movie he's ever been in, uh, it's basically him versus the world. And he'll go in and he can take on armies and he can destroy armies and he can do it all just himself. And uh, that becomes almost this picture of courage, like a courageous person uh, is someone who will just charge into something uh, alone and just be able to destroy anything in their path because they're courageous, they're, they're knocking fear in the face and they're just going forward. And you think about these type of action movies or action stars and a lot of times you see that happening. And the funny thing is, is we get entertained by that, even though we know in real life that would never happen. One person going and facing an army, they would die. They would lose. There's no question. But when we get them in Hollywood, all of a sudden, they have these superhuman strengths, and they can go on and take on whole groups and whole armies all by themselves. And a lot of times, courage can be kind of seen that way. Uh, this morning, I believe, as we look at Joshua, I don't want us to look at the person of Joshua, the character, the, the, the man who God calls to lead Israel after Moses. I don't want to look at Joshua like he's Chuck Norris. All right, this is not Joshua Norris. This is Joshua, the son of Nun. He's here. He is going to be Joshua, but he's not the typical person you might think of. Yes, he's going to uh, go into war. Yes, there's going to be victory. Yes, we're going to see Joshua is a very strong man in a lot of different ways as we go through this book. But Joshua is not uh, this uh, finding his courage within himself and finding courage to be the manliest man around that is going to walk into Canaan and is going to knock down Jericho's walls by himself and destroy every army that's in his way. That's not how we need to look at Joshua. Last week we began to look at Joshua. We began to look at what God told him about courage. And we saw that Joshua had been called to have courage in the mission of taking the promised land. Uh, I think it was three times in the first nine verses we see uh, Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. He's also told that in Deuteronomy uh, when Moses is commissioning Joshua. And we saw that Joshua is commanded to be a man of courage that would, that would take the fear and the, the, the 
the just unknown that was ahead of him and charge forward in courage, taking the promised land. No matter what that meant or what obstacles would be in his way, he was given the mission to have courage to take the promised land. The land that God had already promised to Israel. He had already said, it's going to be yours. But he said, Joshua, you need to go in and take it. But we also looked at a couple weeks ago that courage is not how the world defines courage. It's not just standing up for yourself. It's not just being who you are no matter what anyone else says. It is not simply just gritting, uh, your, you know, gritting and bearing it when it comes to fear and just plowing through. Although some of those things have an element of courage to it, ultimately... True courage, the courage that Joshua is called to, is found through trusting the promises of God, living by God's laws, and leaning on God's presence. Those are the things we looked at two weeks ago. Uh, Once again, that courage is found as we trust in the promises of God. Not trust in our own strength, but trust in His strength. And that's where true courage can be found. And that we trust that what God says He's going to do, He's truly going to do, and therefore we can walk behind Him. It's living by God's laws. We looked at the idea of laws being instructions. It's living by how God says we should live. That is courage. To live in a world that says you need to follow your own advice, follow your own way, uh, worship your own choice. Uh, We need to be different. True courage is to be worshiping God and following his ways, his laws, his instructions for living. And that is a way, that is part of courage. And finally, courage ultimately, as even we read at the end of chapter 1, verse 9, says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And it says, why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our courage uh, in the missions that God has given us, as we look at this world around us, the courage that we need to find is by knowing that God is with us wherever we go. And we took some moments to talk about some of the mission that God has given us to make disciples of all the nations, to go forward and present his name, to go forward and present the gospel and be who he's called us to be, the light bearers that we are in this dark world. And that takes courage to go into what seems like a a mission that is impossible. And yet we know, as he told, as Jesus told us in Matthew that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the presence of God. He is with us. He is walking next to us, and we can have courage because we know he is present. And we need to remember those things as we go into the rest of the book. I know I spent a little bit of time reviewing. It's been a couple weeks. And also, as we go into the rest of this book, that needs to be our baseline, that we understand what true courage is. That it's not about us, it's not about inner strength, but it's about the promises of God. It's about what he's told us to do and how he's told us to live. And it's about knowing that he's with us no matter where we go and whatever we are doing. That will give true courage. But this morning, I want to, as we go back and talk about, we think about those men who we idolize so many times in culture that just can go in and take on everyone by themselves. We see that this is not the case for Joshua. The mission of courage that Joshua has been called to in the first nine verses was not just for Joshua himself, but it was for all the people, all the people of Israel. Joshua 1, uh, verse 2. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. And then in verse 6, we also read this. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land 
that I swore to their fathers to give them. It's very important as we understand the mission of Joshua, this was not just a mission for him. As I said, it's not that he's going to have this superhuman strength where he's going to leap over the Jordan River, rush into Canaan, knock down walls, and destroy armies all by himself. Uh, First of all, he has the presence of God, but also he's going to be doing this with the people. And so today's sermon title is Community of Courage. And the understanding that we hopefully will have by the time we finish chapter 1 is that the mission of God that he has given to Joshua and given to Israel to take the promised land was not just an individual effort, but it was an effort of the people. And that translates to us. That the mission that God has given us in this world to be the light in the darkness, to bring the gospel to the nations, to be what we need to be, that mission that God has given us through Jesus Christ, that we also are not in this alone. This is not a, uh, we're not meant to be a Chuck Norris and take the world on by ourselves. But we have a community of courage that can surround us. And courage is not just for individuals, but it is for groups. It is for communities. And today I want to say our church is a family. It's a community just in many of the same ways that Israel was. And so we're going to look at a couple things today. We're going to start by looking at Joshua. We're going to look at how the people got involved. We're going to look at how he was to take this land and take this mission to the people and then at the end, we'll, uh, we're going to take a, a little detour over to the New Testament. And we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see how that affects us today. But let's start by talking about what a community of courage needs. What a community of courage needs, starting in Joshua. And we're going to start Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people... Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he he has to you and that they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so also we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, and he, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. I'm missing water. Can somebody get me a cup of water, please? I whispered that. If somebody would please get me a cup of water, my mouth is... I think. Okay, I got Steve and John on it. I don't know. Steve's good. All right. Sorry to interrupt, but I should have checked that beforehand. All right. Moving on. So we're looking at a community of courage, what it needs. We're going to look at the first few verses. Okay, first few verses uh, of Joshua chapter 1 in this section, starting in verse 10. A community of courage needs courageous leadership. A community of courage needs courageous leadership. And that's what we see right off the bat in verse 10 uh, and and 11. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. 
And so Joshua goes forward. After God has called him to the mission, he said, be strong and courageous. He says, uh, now uh, what Joshua does, right after God has given this, his commission to him, Joshua goes forward. But Joshua doesn't just go and talk to all the people individually. Thank you, Dave. And he doesn't just try to uh, just control things on his own. He commands the officers of the people. He says, he goes through and he commands those people who are uh, under uh, the, different, uh, the different commanders of the different people groups. Remember, we're talking a lot of people here. This isn't just a few people on the side of the river. This is a whole nation. And as such, Joshua commands the officers of the people, goes forward, and it shows leadership. And some of the things that we see in the leadership of Joshua, we see that leadership thrives on teamwork in verse 10. Leadership thrives on teamwork. Once again, the calling of our lives as, as, as people and as leaders is not to just go forward alone and leave everyone else behind and not worry about anything but what we want to do, to charge forward alone. That is not good leadership. Joshua makes sure as he goes forward, he commands the officers of the people, and he says, this is what you need to do. He says, pass through the midst of the people. Uh, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He tells the officers and he brings them in and he says, look, this is what our mission is. You need to go and you need to tell the people what's about to happen. The commander spread the word of the mission. See, Joshua understood that Joshua, as a leader, is not going to be able to inspire everyone at once. He didn't just congregate everybody together and give a a big speech. Joshua goes to his commanders and says, go spread the word. And his commanders go spread the word that, indeed, get ready. Because we're about to take the land. The second thing I want to notice about, or I want us to notice about Joshua's leadership, not only is it about teamwork and including others and delegating, but then leadership is also... Seen here as a call to action. Leadership inspires action. Joshua's leadership inspires action. It wasn't just leadership to discuss things, to try to figure things out, and then just kind of leave it as, a, as an ideal that's out there somewhere. But, but what Joshua says is go tell the people to prepare. To prepare, to get food ready, to get weapons ready, to get all the stuff they're going to need and to get themselves ready to cross the Jordan and to fulfill the mission that God has given. It's going to happen, so start preparing. So Joshua doesn't just say, hey, someday soon God's going to give us the land. No, he says we need to take some action. Remember, this is another point. God has given the land to the people, but he's requiring the people to put effort into it. This isn't just, oh, it's going to be yours, so everybody's just going to be dead when you walk in, and you're just going to be able to set up your cities. God has a plan to use the people of Israel to take this land, and so therefore they need to prepare and get ready to go, and that's what Joshua tells his commanders to spread. But not only was Joshua's leadership thriving on teamwork and inspiring action, Joshua's leadership was leadership that trusts in God. The second part of chapter, or verse 11 is very clear says, prepare, for within three days you are going to pass over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Once again, Joshua's leadership is dependent upon the trust in God's promises. God is going to allow them to possess the land. God is going to allow them to cross the Jordan River, which is no small feat. 
In just a few chapters, we're going to see how that happens. And God does a miracle to get them across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. But right now, what we know is that Joshua says, this is why you need to prepare. Not because, uh, not just to make sure we're ready, but prepare because in three days, a specific time, God is going to lead us into that land. And you need to be ready because he said he's going to give it to us and he is going to do what he says he's going to do. Joshua's leadership was not based on trust in himself. It was not based on trust in his other leaders. It was not based on trust on, on the people or the might of their army. Joshua's trust that this was going to happen was only in God himself the one who had promised, the one who had said the land would be theirs. And so we see some elements of leadership that we can learn from Joshua. Now some of you are saying, why are we talking about leadership? I'm not a leader. And I want to say this. Uh, First of all, all of us find ourselves in positions in our life in which we become leaders. Maybe not in official capacity. Uh, Maybe you're not an official manager at work. Maybe you're not officially an elder or a deacon or or a leader of a ministry here. Maybe you feel like you don't have any leadership. You're just a follower. But keep in mind, whether it's your children, whether it's other people who might be watching you, whether um, whether it is in an official capacity, no matter where it is, there are opportunities and times in your life where you will be leading people. And it's important as we lead people that we understand that we can't do it alone, uh, that we need to inspire people to action Uh, Teaching isn't just giving ideas, uh, and leading isn't just giving ideas, but leading is to lead people towards action. And finally, leadership is one that trusts in God, and this is the most important thing. As we lead others, as we lead people, whether it's our children, whether it's others in our lives that are looking up to us, whether it's in an official realm of leadership, whatever it is, we need to trust in God's promises Not trust in our own leadership ability, not trust in uh, what might happen, but trust in what we know God is already doing. That God is uh, transforming our hearts and God is using us to reach the world with the gospel. So no matter where you're leading in your life, in whatever capacity, we need to understand these things as we look at Joshua's leadership. Joshua did not just depend upon himself and his own strength, but he depended upon God and he brought other people along. That's something to remember in whatever leadership you might have. The second point, though, is a community of courage not only needs courageous leadership, but a community of courage needs courageous unity. You know, this is important as we look at what happens here in the book of Joshua. And starting in verse 12, uh, he starts talking to these, uh, these groups, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. And, and if you don't know the history of Scripture, or you don't quite grasp what he's even saying here, uh, at the end of this passage in verse 15, Uh, He says this, you shall return to the land of your possession, he's still talking to those tribes, and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. Uh, Sunrise is to the east. If you have an idea of what the map might look like, the the promised land at this point is actually to the west. Uh, Where they're going to be crossing over the Jordan into the promised land is to the west. And so what exactly is happening here? Well, these tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh of Israel have already been given land that is on the east side of the Jordan. They have already possessed the land that God had given them, and that's what we see in this little passage. And if we don't understand that, then we don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, Indeed, uh, we see that this group then, as what Joshua says, he says to these groups, he says, Remember the word that Moses, the servant, the Lord commanded you. Um, He wants these people 
to be united with the rest of Israel. Why would he want that? Well, here's the deal. This two and a half tribes, they could have easily said, you know what? We already got our land. You guys go do your thing. We're just going to stay here in peace and security. And we don't really care what happens with you. We're already happy here. We've already got our home. We've already set everything up. You can go ahead and do your thing and we'll do ours. That would have been a very logical thing for that group to want to do. But why does Joshua recall Moses' words? We're not going to go there to read the whole passage. Uh, but in Numbers chapter 32, when Moses gives the land to these people, he says, look, I'm going to do this, but you need to give, you, you need to give your word to me and you need to give your word to God uh, that, uh, that when the time comes, you will send your armies in with the rest of the, with the, rest of the people. And they agreed to do that, to keep the land on the east of the Jordan, and yet would, would work with the people, would really unite with the other people to go forward and fight in the land. And so the first thing I want, to see is that you, or I want us to see is unity is based on God's word. Now you say he mentions Moses' word, not God's word, but let's keep in mind Moses was called the servant of the Lord. Moses is a prophet of God, and Moses, when he spoke, had the authority of God behind what he spoke. And actually, it's recorded in God's word, as I said already in Numbers chapter 32. So, unity. A community of courage needs unity. These people could have been disunified. They could have said, you go your way, I'll go mine. But instead, Joshua calls them to remember the word of Moses, the word of God, who said to him, look, you guys said to them, you guys can stay here, you can set up your, 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 your settlements here, but when it comes time, you will go forward and fight with us. And that's exactly what Moses told them to do. And Joshua is calling them to fulfill the word that they gave as God gave them that word as well. So we need to have unity if we're to have courage. You know, courage and all of us working in separate ways is not going to get anything done. But we also see that unity is not just based on God's word. It's also unity that is based on selfless sacrifice. Verses 14 and 15. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you and that they take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, <clears throat> the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise." Unity is based on selfless sacrifice. <clears throat> Listen, if we are to have courage, if we are to trust in God and have true courage in the face of uh, what seems like insurmountable tasks in front of us, uh, then we need to have unity. And we need to have unity that is based on what God has said and his promises. But we also need to have unity based on selfless sacrifice. These people of this two and a half tribes were going to send their, their army. They were going to send their armed men and leave their wives and their children and all they had behind them. They were willing to do that to follow the word of Moses, to follow the word of God. They were willing to do that and they were willing to make whatever sacrifice was necessary. Or at least they should have been. As we go on through the book of Joshua, you're going to see that these tribes actually don't end up doing what they say they'll do. But at this point, Joshua is calling them to that. And he's saying, if we want to have unity, if we want to take this land, we need you to give selfless sacrifice. And that is what Joshua is calling this two and a half tribes to do. And so, as we think about courageous unity here, what does it mean for us? Well, it means that we need to be willing to sacrifice things that we hold dear for the good of others. That is courage. That is having a community of courage. It's being with one another, and it's helping one another, and it's loving one another, no matter what it costs to us. 
We need to live a life that has unity based on selfless sacrifice. Finally, we see here that unity is based on God's faithfulness. Unity that is based on God's faithfulness. The end of verse 15, we already read it. But Joshua says, look, once this is done, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He's given you the land, you can return, and it's yours. Once again, these this two and a half tribes are willing to sacrifice because they know what God's word said and they know what his promise is. That they were told that they needed to do this and that they needed to go forward with their brothers and they would go forward and after that was done they would return to their land that God's promise would be true. That God is faithful. That God is faithful. If they were to do this to understand that God is faithful and return them to where they need to be returned. And so unity in, in Israel was based, based on these things, God's word, sacrifice, and faithfulness, but it's the same for us. We can find unity around what God has said, unity around his word. We might have differences of opinion on politics. We might have differences of opinion on uh, sports. We might have differences of opinion on anything, but what we can't have differences of opinion on is God's holy word, the gospel, what he has given us, the truth. The, the truth, not just a truth, but the truth. And we need to trust in that. And we can unite around God's word and what he has told us. We can unite as we are willing to sacrifice, which, by the way, is the definition, really, of true agape love. It's to give up. It's to sacrifice for others. That will bring unity. And if we don't have unity, we will crumble. But if we have sacrifice with one another, then we can have unity. And finally, unity is based on God's faithfulness. We know that when we stick together, God is faithful. He is with us and he is faithful. Moving on to our last point this morning, a community of courage not only needs leadership and unity, but a community of courage needs courageous submission. This is a word that nobody really likes, the word submission, but really, literally, the word submission just means to put yourself under someone else. Not to be put under, Not to push others under, but to be put under. To put yourself under someone else. A community of courage needs courageous submission. And so we see that happen in starting in verse 16. And the people, Joshua, and the people, they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and whatever, wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels... Uh, against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. How do we see submission in these few verses? Well, it starts off with submission that listens to godly leaders. Submission that listens to godly leaders. You'll see right off the bat, these people say, yes, Joshua, we will do this. Wherever you, whatever you say and whatever you ask, we will do it. It says that just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. The people say to Joshua, yes, we will submit to your leadership, but I want to make sure that this is seen here. They're not just submitting to Joshua's leadership because he was a strong guy, because they were scared of him, or because he thought that they thought that he was the one that was going to destroy uh, their enemies. They submitted to Joshua. Why? Because only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. The people of Israel understood that the only reason that they can submit to Joshua was because God was with him. See, really by submitting to Joshua, they weren't submitting to a man, but they were submitting to God himself. And that's what the people did. That's what makes for unity. 
Now, this is hard for me uh, as a leader of this church to come and say this. Like, it sounds like it's a power trip, right? You need to submit to me. No, that's not exactly what I'm saying. Actually, that's really not at all what I'm saying. But leaders, the leaders that God has put over us here, uh, and I would say that even as elders, as we have a group of elders going back to the teamwork philosophy of leadership, I look at those elders that are in my life as authority over me as well, and I submit to them as they hopefully will submit to one another and submit to um, me. And also then we hope and pray that people will submit in the sense of saying, look, there, if God is with us, we will submit. Not that you will submit to a man. That's not about, it's not about I'm a man, submit to me. It's about submit to God. And the people he's put over you. So maybe that's in the church. Maybe that's in the family unit. Uh, maybe that's in your workplace. Maybe that is wherever, somewhere else where you find yourself where there is a structure of authority. It is important that you submit to your leaders as Israel did. But keep in mind that we don't submit to the leaders for their sake. But we submit for God's sake. We also see that submission involves radical commitment now, I, this is interesting. Now, I'm not promo- we're not promoting this, right? Okay, so you shall return to the land of your possession. Okay, but before that, he says, um, uh, later on, he says, whoever rebels against your commandment, in verse 18, and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Okay, all right. We're not putting people to death because they don't listen to leaders. Okay, um, but what does this show? Uh, what this shows is something very key here. That the people are so willing to submit, to throw themselves uh, into what God is doing as as Joshua is leading. That they're willing to throw themselves completely in and it's a total radical commitment. It's saying we will commit, not only are we going to commit, but whoever doesn't, we're going to kill them. It, it, It sounds very harsh and very mean, but really all they're saying is this, that it is so important for us to follow you as you follow God that we will give everything. That we are willing to radically commit everything to this purpose. And so we need to submit through radical commitment to God. Radical commitment to one another. Radical commitment to leaders. And all of those things happen as we come together as the church. And as we live together. And as we worship together. And as we are willing to do whatever it takes to be unified. Finally, submission uh, listens to godly leaders and involves radical commitment, but submission encourages others. The very last part of this passage, only be strong and courageous. They say, Joshua, we will follow you. And then what God has already told Joshua three times earlier, now the people say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. But let's keep that in mind, what this courage and strength is all about. <clears throat> Be strong and courageous and remember the promises of God. Be strong and courageous and remember God's laws. Be strong and courageous and remember God's presence. And so there is encouragement to be found. The people encourage Joshua with the call to courage. If we want to have unity, it's going to involve encouraging one another. Submission is encouraging one another. It's putting aside, even if you're feeling crummy that day and you want to, you take the opportunity to encourage others towards godliness. That is submission. That is how it should be. So we've talked a lot about Joshua. We've talked about what a little bit what it means for us. We saw Joshua just in, 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 to sum everything up. Joshua says, we see in here that Joshua wasn't meant to do this alone. That he needed a community of courage. 
And a community of courage needs courageous leadership, courageous unity, and courageous submission. The same is true of our community today, as we've already talked about in several ways. I want to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews this morning. The book of Hebrews. You say, why are we going to Hebrews? I want to look at a verse here, and and you'll see why we're in Hebrews. You see, Hebrews is a parallel of Joshua in many ways. Hebrews becomes a parallel book of Joshua in many ways, where the writer of Hebrews is saying that Christians of the day that he's writing to, the Hebrew Christians that he's writing to, are at a point in very much the same way that Joshua and the Israelites were at, where Joshua and the Israelites were looking to go to the promised land. Now in Hebrews, these Christians that Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews is writing to, uh, whoever this writer is writing to, is the idea that they're about to cross, that that there is an idea that this is, also true of Christians in a spiritual sense. In chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 in the book of Hebrews, this is what we read. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken of another, or would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now we could talk a long time about the idea of rest. But the idea as we look at Hebrews and we look at the whole of scripture, rest means the end of our striving and it's realizing and living in God's promise. That's what the Israelites were looking forward to. They were looking forward to taking the land, having their own land, no longer having to strive and fight. That would have been rest. And also that they would be able to realize and live in the promise of God, the promised land. That's what they had to look forward to. And Joshua is leading them into that rest. But here in Hebrews, where it goes back to Joshua and says, look, Joshua had, didn't give them the real rest that they need. Maybe partial rest. Rest that was given as they went over the Jordan and took the promised land. But for the people of God, there's still a rest coming. And what is that rest? Well, that rest is found in Jesus Christ. That rest is found as we have eternal life in him. When we can cease from our striving. And when we can realize God's promise and live in the midst of it. And that's where we are through Jesus Christ. That'll be ultimately uh, achieved and seen as, uh, as we go to heaven, as we spend eternity with him, as we have eternal life in the new creation. All of that will be true. But even right now, we have a real rest through Jesus that the people in Joshua's day didn't have. A rest from our striving, a rest and understanding and realizing and living in God's promise of eternal life. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews. So if we have that understanding that that, those phrases about Joshua there in Hebrews, the writer is trying to write to us and write to Christians and saying, the rest is there, you need to find it. And so as I conclude, I want to go through Hebrews and look at a few different passages and how they apply to what we've seen in Joshua already. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is is this question. Have you joined the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, in order for people to go into the land of Israel, there had to be people that were willing to be Israel. There had to be people that actually were a people. And so before you can experience the rest that God has, you need to join his family, his community in the very first place. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to go through this fairly quickly. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Moving over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay attention with closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared for us first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by who heard. For God, who also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. And then down to verse 9. What is all that about? It says, But we see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by him the grace of God he might taste for everyone. Listen, there's a lot that we just read there, but here's the basic understanding. Jesus came, he, was, he became a man to be less than the angels, and yet he was greater than the angels. Why? Because he died for sin. He gave his life so that we could have grace. The grace of God comes through Jesus Christ. Hebrews is very clear on that, that God now is speaking through Jesus. And the way to become a part of the family of God, the community of courage that needs to be here, is by giving your life to Jesus. And by living and listening and understanding and believing in Jesus. That he came as a man. That he lived a perfect life. That he died on the cross for your sin and mine. That he rose again three days later. And he's waiting to receive you to himself if you will just come in faith and ask him for salvation, ask him for forgiveness, then you can be part of the people of God. That is the truth we see throughout Hebrews. Those are just a few small passages. If you have not given your life to Jesus today, whether you think maybe in the past you might have, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, give your life to Jesus Christ. Now some questions as we go through Hebrews. Uh, What are you doing to lead others? We talked about courageous leadership. What are you doing to lead others? Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Well, what's the point here in Hebrews? It says we, we should be mature enough to be teachers. If we know Jesus, if we're listening and learning, the Hebrew people at this point, the people that are being written to in this book, should have known enough to be able to not only understand some of the basic things of God, but they should have been able to be teaching others. It's the idea of leading others to maturity. And, and, under, and being mature, but then leading others to the same maturity. And, and the writer says, you should be there, but you're not. And it's kind of a condemnation to the people who are listening or reading this. 
And so the understanding then is what are we doing to teach or to lead others? Are you mature enough in your life to take the opportunity to teach others? I'm not saying that you have to preach a sermon or teach a Sunday school class. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to become uh, an elder or a deacon here or to lead a ministry. But is there opportunities for you to lead others, your children, lead others in the church, lead others in your life to lead them to maturity in Christ? You need to take those opportunities. Opportunities. What are you doing to lead others? If we want to have a community of courage, we need to have a community that is willing to lead and to help and to lead others to maturity. Maybe it's one-on-one. Maybe it is in a classroom setting. But whatever it is that God has called you or can, has given you the ability to do, do it. And I'll give just a little bit of a side here. If God, if you feel that you right now uh, are feeling led to be a leader in official capacity here at the church. We would love for more men to join our deacons and our elders. And so if that's you, talk to an elder. We'd love to begin that conversation. If you feel that God is calling you, if, you, if you're looking at opportunities to lead and you say, one of the opportunities that I feel I have to lead is actually to step up to be a deacon, to be an elder. And maybe you just want to know more what that's even about, then talk to one of us because we'd love to talk to you about that possibility. But like I said, it's not just about that kind of leadership. We all have opportunities to lead. Let's use it. Next question, are we united with other believers? And these are the pa- this is a passage that everybody is very familiar with. Uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are you you united with other believers? To have a community of courage that's going to be able to take the mission of God to the world, and we need to work together for this to be a community, then we need to be united. And this passage talks about what unity looks like. First of all, it talks about that we need to be together. That's a good start, right? We need to be together. But let's keep in mind that Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 isn't just uh, saying... You know what, when you get a chance, go hang out with each other. That's part of it, but what is the reason for getting together? What is the point of getting together? Well, it's verse 24. Consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. The understanding is when we are together, are we encouraging people towards maturity in Christ? Are we encouraging one another to live out love and to live out good works? When we get together, it's great to be together. But if it just stops there and we're not encouraging others to go forward and we're not mutually building one another up, then we're not really fulfilling what Hebrews is asking us to do. It's not just about being here on Sundays. We want you to be here. We want you to be listening to sermons. We want you to be singing songs. We want you to be here. But we don't want people just to be here to sit in a chair or or, or to just sing songs without even thinking about what we're singing. We are here to encourage and love one another. That's the point. And we'll never have unity until we understand why we're here. To push one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. I just gave a little plug for leadership here. I want to give a plug for membership. If you're not a member of our church, you haven't officially come to the point where you said, I am a member of this body. 
I know a lot of people will say, I don't need to because that's not in the Bible. But the truth of the matter is, there is a commitment that needs to be made to this body that says, I'm going to commit and unite with this body so that we can hold each other accountable, so that we can encourage one another to go forward, so that we can build one another up. That's the point of membership. And I bring that up because we are going to be having a membership class uh, here in just a few weeks, starting on February 17th, if you are willing or wanting to become a member, to officially say, I want to become part of this body and commit myself to it. We would love to talk to you about how you can do that. Talk to an elder. Talk to myself. We would love to be able to get you involved there as well. So are you united with other believers? And finally, are you willing to submit to others for the sake of Jesus? Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. We've heard these before and they've been misused before and they've been used correctly before. But Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's about remembering. And then in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. These verses are very clear about submission. That there are leaders that God has put uh, over all of us. And that we need to submit to that leadership. Not obey a man, not submit to a man necessarily, but to submit to God as we listen to others. And keep in mind in verse 17, what's the whole point? For they are keeping watch over your souls and they will have to give an account before God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The leaders here, and I'm... I know I'm part of the leadership team, but I want to speak of the other four guys, specifically and elders. They love and they care and they are doing the very best they possibly can with Jesus by their side to shepherd people of this body. And I want to implore you to give them encouragement because they need it. This is, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to pump people up because they, they do all of this for Jesus. But I want to be very clear here that... The, the submission to leaders, the leaders also are submitting to you by giving their lives. By, you know, they work a 40-hour job, come back and spend hours during the week to shepherd and to lead and to love. Take an opportunity to talk to those guys. Encourage those guys. They need it. They need it. And submission isn't just about doing what we say. That's not it. It's about loving and caring for leaders. But then also in Ephesians chapter 5, I know this isn't Hebrews, but I just want to keep this in mind and I'll just reference it. But Ephesians chapter 5 and 15 through 21, the understanding of that passage, it says, submit to one another. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. See, it's not just about leaders being submitted to. It's about leaders submitting to people, loving and caring and showing compassion. It's about the people showing love and compassion to the leaders. It's about everyone submitting to one another, putting ourselves under one another. That's the point. If we want to have courage, if we want to take this world by storm, if we want to see this community changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we want to, if we want to see uh, God do amazing things and the mission that he's given us, that he's already said he's doing, he is, he is already moving in the nations, he's moving around us, are we willing to come together to be a community that is united, a community that is, got, is leading one another, and a community that is submitting to one another? And if we are, we will see God do some amazing things in and through this church right here. So although we've been looking at Joshua and the people of Israel, there are so many similarities to what we have here. 
That the courage that we talked about two weeks ago of following God no matter what and knowing his promises, knowing that he is with us, trusting in his laws, all of those things, they're great, but they can't just be done alone. We need to help each other to be courageous. And so my exhortation to everyone here is, are we a community of courage? Don't try to be Chuck Norris. Don't try to go off on your own. Trust the people that God has put in your life. Maybe that means for some of us it's time to become members. Maybe it just means for some of us it's time to uh, be here more often. Maybe for some of us it's to be, when we are here, we're actually here. I don't know what it is for each of you. But we need to be willing to submit to others, be united to others, and lead others as well. And if those things are happening, we'll be able to take the promised land, if you will. That's exciting to me if we can just come together to do that. With all that in our minds, let's close in prayer and we'll sing one final song. Lord, I thank you for the reminder from Joshua that this life is not to be lived alone, that the Christian life is not just to be lived in a vacuum, that we can charge ahead on our own, but Lord, we need others. God, I pray that today you would use this word that we read both from Joshua and from Hebrews to to really penetrate our minds and our hearts to help us to see how much we need one another how much we need to lead one another, how much we need to be united with one another, how much we need to submit to one another. God, I pray that you would show that to us. You would make it real. It wouldn't just be something we talk about, but it would be something that we do. And so God, I pray with all of these things that we've looked at, that you would continue to guide and direct and give us wisdom as we move forward as a church and as individuals. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.